Hi everyone and welcome back to Melinda in Miami where we discuss common sexual challenges and how to work through them. Today I'm so excited because we are talking about BDSM and kinky sex. My guest Francesca Gentile is going to tell you all about how to engage in BDSM and how to begin. She's a clinical sexologist, an author, and a lecturer, and she's in private practice in the San Francisco, California area. When we think BDSM, we think bondage, domination, sadomasochism, a lot of pain and humiliation. But I'm here to tell you that it's actually so much more. And to your surprise, I bet you're actually engaging in more BDSM than you actually think. BDSM also incorporates biting, a little scratching, maybe dress up or role playing. These are all factors of BDSM as well. One thing I really like about BDSM or kinky sex is the communication that it opens between the partners. BDSM is something that all parties involved have to be aware of and agree to. So it really encourages conversations between you and your partner or possibly partners. It opens this dialogue of, hey, this is what I am interested in. This is what I'd like to explore. And it allows that other person to say, hey, I'm willing to explore that with you. Or, you know, I don't really like that, but let's try to meet halfway or find a new area to explore that we both can enjoy and create that pleasure path. So let's jump right into our interview with Francesca Gentile. Hi, Francesca. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, I'm so delighted to be here, Melinda. Thank you. So let's jump right in. You know, we hear and we read a lot about BDSM and kinky sex, but can you just tell us what BDSM is? Well, BDSM, we're going to look at this from a few different directions. One is that the those letters have come to mean bondage, domination, and sadomasochism. And they can also be uh, you know, discipline, and they can also be beatings. You know? So there's a, number right. of, there's a number of things that those letters can stand for. But I'm going to invite us to think of it as even broader than that, because the world has been separated into two lines. And one line is we're kinky or we're not kinky, and that the average person has a tendency to think that kinky is something that I would be disgusted by. Right. Unless, of course, you identify as kinky. But if you don't identify as kinky, kinky is are those things I would never do that I'm really disgusted by that in, involve whips and chains and and it's it's terrible. And But what that leaves us with is that not kinky might be missionary sex, you know, with the, with the man on top, the woman on the bottom, you know, pounding away in a vanilla sex that we say in a, uh, but vanillas don't say that. So even saying right, vanilla, no, vanilla sex is, that we is say. a reference to BDSM. So the average person just thinks I'm normal, except for those fantasies I don't talk about with anybody because I'm afraid to let them know that. And those other people are not normal, but I want to bring this into a different concept that what if this community of people who are sexual explorers are actually opening the door to an infinite menu. So instead of going to the missionary sex burger shop, where it's like you can have a burger, you could have it with you know mustard and ketchup and pickles, maybe you could go a little wild and have uh, ranch dressing or something else on it, but it's, it's basically this very simple menu versus going to something that might be like a smorgasbord, or even further than that, if you knew a world-class chef and could just say, you know, I want you to create something for me. So when we step into the world of BDSM, we're actually looking at a very expanded menu of sensations from soft to sharp to, to study to stingy. We're looking at an expanded menu of roles. So rather than a man and a woman, you're, you're the woman, I'm the man, let's say. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and we're just, we're the way we look on the outside is who we are on the inside. And we're going to partake in a very set script of what those roles are in the world of BDSM. We can explore 
for roles like, uh, you know, the French maid, or we could explore roles like the, the doctor and the patient, or we could explore roles like the pet and the pet owner. And we can, we can start to say, do you have any fantasy of any role, the pirate and the maiden to be ravished? You know, do you have any roles that you ever fantasized about? We could actually bring those in here. And in BDSM, they call the, 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 you know, this encounter that we do together, like in theater, we call it a scene. And like in theater, if you've ever heard of theater improv, in theater improv, you negotiate some ideas for the improvisation, and then you go. And in BDSM, you negotiate, okay, you be the pirate, Melinda, and I want to be the girl who's going to be ravished. But maybe tomorrow night, I'll be the pirate, and you be the girl who's going to be ravished. And we'll just have a few ideas. Now we're going to improv around those ideas. But to keep it safe, because we're now exploring in a way that is a little wilder than we've normally done, uh, and if I slam you to the floor and I'm the pirate, you might get splinters. You know, so we want to have a safe word. In theater, We the director would call cut if something felt like it was really off. But we don't have a director. So we're the directors. So we have something called a safe word that lets either one of us cut the scene, stop the scene with no shame, no blame, and feel like that was still good. That was still a good exploration. And then we might want to also negotiate a little bit is, you know, I have lumbago in my right knee. What's lumbago? I don't know. But we, you know, I have something where please be careful of my left knee or, you know, please don't push too hard on my right shoulder or I like deep scratches, but not bites. So we might negotiate a little bit like we're negotiating about cooking a meal together. So you know, I, I invite when people, especially when one person is kinky and one person isn't, just forget about, you know, forget about that BDSM has to be one thing or another. It has to be whips and chains. It has to be a dominant and a submissive. It has to be anything. Let's just open the menu and start to say we can explore. And many things that people would consider normal um, are considered part of BDSM, like like the like the bites, like the scratches, like the growls. If you've ever you know wanted someone to sweep you off your feet and throw you on the bed and pin you down, you know that's that could be that's part of BDSM or could be. If you've ever wanted someone to you know be like, oh, I just want to eat you up, you know that kind of role play is also part of BDSM. So I invite us to take out the otherness of it the the fear and projection about it and invite a sense of my favorite uh, metaphor is food. So if you and I are now wanting to cook together or eat together, I actually am gluten intolerant. I'm cow dairy intolerant. I can't eat bell peppers. And you're going to want to cook for me and with me in a way that we could eat together. And maybe you have other preferences. So things that you really like. Do you like like it's spicy? Do you like it crunchy? Do you like it smooth? Do you like it creamy? And are there, and those are like our desires or our fantasies. And then are there things that you can't do, which are, are what they call hard limits? You know, the things like bell peppers is a hard limit, babe. Don't, don't include it. You know, biting my shoulder is a hard limit. Don't include it. You know, it's what are, what makes the dish delicious, the dish of our sexuality, the dish of our connection, and when we're a couple, we want to be able to eat together. We want to know what are our desires and preferences, our tastes, as it were. What is the taste for? The creamy, the smooth, the spicy. And in BDSM, we might say the thuddy, the stingy, the, the, the rope or not the rope, the constraint or not the constraint. And what are our hard limits or, you know, if we metaphor to food, what are the things that we can't eat? Now we have parameters with which to cook a meal. I love how you bring it back to food. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm learning about, um, you know, BDSM and like all the different aspects of it, I'm thinking in my head, oh my gosh, this is really something that um, two people or three people or more really have to talk about before. Because, you know, they really have to develop that emotional and physical safety between all the people involved. So is this 
how people would, their entryway into BDSM is the conversation of just bringing it up and, you know, creating these safe words and creating the role play and the fantasy and what each other likes. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things about the uh, kind of the world or the community of BDSM is that it values education and conversation where our day-to-day normative world of sexuality has this strange toxic myth that says that if we if we talk about sex it's not sexy if i talk about what i want or don't want if i if i debrief the game as we do in sports you know if i debrief the game and say that really worked and that could have been done differently or better that somehow it's a failed experience and in bdsm we actually value this negotiation before this the ability to stop during and the debriefing afterwards which can which is called aftercare which happens right after but also again within a couple of days we want to check in again because the bdsm scenes these these scenes that we're engaging in can really stir up a lot they're very profound they're very intimate and we want to make sure that everybody feels okay about it later so that's one of my favorite things and there's such a huge community with classes and meetups. Meetups are clothed. They're at, you know, cafes and restaurants. They're completely safe and normative looking. So they're a really great entree for a beginner to just find out a little bit more. And then there are play parties, but there's also classes and classes where we can learn about everything from how to, if you wanted to do something with a flogger or with rope or with particular kind of toys, tools, and techniques, uh, if you wanted to do something with some of the roles, you could find classes on that to do it more effectively, take it with your partner, and be celebrated that you're learning together. So what would they do in these classes? Because I can imagine a lot of people are saying, okay, I want to explore but I don't even know where to start and also that anxiety of how do I tell my partner that I'm interested in this if I don't even really know what I'm interested in yet so where do these classes begin like what what would they teach us and you know Melinda I think you bring up two different questions is how do I identify as kinky or not kinky how would I even know and if I'm starting to feel like I might be, how do I bring it up? Yes. And then if I'm starting to want to go into it, where do I look? So let's see if we can slow this down for a second and address each question. So how would I know that I'm kinky? Yes. I, I invite us to try on that there's, uh, there's core identities and then there's the infinite psyche or the infinite soul, or as we like to say, in uh, neuroscience that the brain is neuroplastic and can keep growing and discovering and becoming. And so there's two main categories of three, uh, three main categories of people that come into BDSM. One is the person that when they come into this community, they recognize that when the first testosterone spike happens in the body, which is somewhere between three and five, they started to notice things that they would look at now are as kinky, that they started to notice that they maybe wanted to be, you know, uh, lay on top of people or be laid on, or that they compressed, they wanted to be compressed, or they wanted to uh, tie their cousins up or be tied up, or they, like, they look back and they see what they would now say are, oh, my identity, and for, this is true for most of us, that our sexual identity will arise either in the first testosterone spike, you know, three to six or seven, or the second testosterone spike, which is somewhere between, let's say, 10 and 13 on average. It could be a little older, a little younger. But these two developmental spikes is how the body matures into fertility. And when these two spikes happen, People will often get their wet dreams or they'll often start to explore their genitals and they'll often start to even notice, oh, I'm attracted to my same gender or I'm attracted to the opposite gender or I am attracted to certain types of sensations. And it starts very young. So as a field researcher of life, I always ask people these questions and I heard in the community over and over, you know, this early one or the second one. Now, the third type of person that 
comes into BDSM will come in because their partner introduced them that they they didn't necessarily identify or they weren't necessarily curious very young and they didn't find you know BDSM porn or a BDSM book or something or a book that even had wasn't BDSM per se it was the pirate ravishing the woman or whatever and they saw themselves as the pirate or they saw themselves as the woman or whatever you know it's not always uh, codified as a as BDSM but they recognized later I was always drawn to these types of power dynamics uh, where one person is charge is in charge and one person is sort of surrendered or in submission to the other. And uh, and then sometimes people will come in later in life seeing a film or seeing a book. One of my clients was writing, she was in a writer's uh, course where she was writing about this this older man who was taking charge and sort of ravishing this, you know, somewhat younger woman. And it was a very dominant submissive relationship, kind of like Jane Eyre or something like that, or of course, uh, Twilight or, you know, so as, as she was writing this, she said, Oh, I'm the, I'm the woman in this and I'm the submissive. And here she was married for 11 years and then discovered she was submissive and wanted to go out and explore this. And her husband's response was, but I'm not kinky and I'm disgusted by this and I don't wanna do this. And so what I said to them, they were my clients, is I said to him, what does kinky mean to you? And he's like, you know, whips and chains and being domineering. And I said, what if it's not that? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, the, you know, the, the dictionary term of dominant is confident, competent and holding authority. So the teacher's dominant in the classroom, the surgeon's dominant in the surgery, the chef is dominant in the restaurant. So, so tell me what you do. And he was an engineer that actually was in charge of a department. And I said, do you tell people what to do? Yes. Do you give them their goals and standards for like the quarter? Yes. Do you either celebrate them when they, um, you know, fulfill them or exceed in them? Or do you in fact, you know, talk to them in a way that lets them know that they're not succeeding and they might get rewards like bonuses when they do succeed. And maybe they might have something else happen if they don't. And he said, yes. And I said, so you're the dominant in your department. You actually already are a dominant. Now the question is, what type of dominant do you want to be? And he goes, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, beat her or this or that. I said, what if you don't have to? Uh, so let's check in what kind of submissive she is. And most submissives, uh, their currency, what they thrive on, is attention. That is the reward of most submissives. Now, what you know, of course, getting pleasure to who doesn't like to be pleasured the way they like to be pleasured on their body? That is a reward. But submissives also like a lot of attention. And they like to know a type of submissive is called the service submissive. They want to know that they're serving the person that they love beautifully. So I said, we're going to try an experiment. I'm going to have you turn to her and ask her to just like stroke your arm, whatever way you want it stroked, you know, hard, soft, slow, fast, you know, just have her do that. He goes, okay. He goes, stroke my arm. I said, just from the wrist to the shoulder, stroke my arm, you know, in fairly, you know, kind of slowly with kind of a medium texture. So she does that. And I say, now I want you to say to her, that pleases me. And he looked at me and he said, I don't talk like that. I said, I know you don't talk like that, but just, just as the experiment, mm -hmm. say that pleases me. And he said, that pleases me. And she just like giggled and like purred. And I said, can you see her response? Can you see how delighted she is that she pleased you? And he said, yeah, yeah, I can. And I said, so imagine this, you're driving home from work. You, you call her on the cell phone, hands-free, and you, you say, sweetheart, you know, put on that, that lovely red baby doll nighty and, uh, and make my favorite uh, cocktail or tea or juice, whatever you like, and have some, you know, grapes and cheese on a plate and, and have those ready for me when I get home. And when I get home, uh, I'm going to invite you to be uh, kneeling and, re and looking up at me adoringly. And, and I said, and so when you get home, she's looking up at you adoringly. She then gets you your favorite drink and snacks. And you say that pleases me. And she's wearing something really luscious and sexy. 
how bad is that for you? And he said, that's not bad at all for me. I said, exactly. So what we're doing is we're creating a win-win. She wants to be told how to please you. She wants to be told that she pleases you. And that delights her. That has her field fulfilled in this role of a submissive. And you get to be a dominant with kindness, with sensuality, however you want to be a dominant, as long as she knows that she's giving to you in a way that actually pleases you and she's being guided in how to do that. And they're still married. They have a baby. He's become her dominant. And he, but he needed to think outside the box beyond his judgments and his fears of what he thought BDSM was and find a way that they could you know, cook their erotic meal together, find a way to understand each other. You know, that is such a a beautiful story, but I think you brought up something that I hear a lot too. And especially when I was saying that this was the coming topic for this podcast was when we think BDSM, we think of whips and chains, pain and pleasure. And that can either kind of just shut the door for a lot of people, but really understanding that it is, is more. But I wanted to ask you, like with this couple, I had the question of then when does the scene commence? So that's a, that's a good idea. So we, we'd also talked about how do you decide that you're kinky? Um, once again, you look at your fantasies, you're looking at the films, you're looking at the books, the, you know, the things that uh, draw you. But in his case, I believe that the, the toys, tools, and techniques of sensations, which we're now saying is infinite, that there's often a way for couples to bridge even when one doesn't identify as kinky. So, so I've now, I travel and teach around the world teaching about therapeutic kink, how to use kink in a more healing and therapeutic modality, training clinicians in how to understand when is kink arising from abuse and when isn't it. And I uh, was a collared submissive for four years and I don't identify as kinky. Like I never had kinky fantasies. I didn't identify as kinky. In fact, I had judgments about being kinky. Um, I was against BDSM because it was like somehow this weird thing that other people did and was outside of what was normal. But luckily I have a very open heart and inquiring mind. And I do like to cook my erotic meals well, cook the erotic connection well with my partner. So I, when he said that he identified as kinky, and he was very nervous and ashamed almost when he told me, when he said that he identified as kinky, then I became very curious about it and then also looked for the ways to bridge for us and kept looking for inside me, like where is something inside me that can authentically bridge to who he identifies as. And it was absolutely, it was absolutely there. So we're, we have like, how do you identify? You know, you can identify any time in your life and you can open to bridging with your partner, even if you don't initially identify. And I would say to somebody, if you're kinky, please don't bring your partner and they're not, don't bring your partner into the BDSM community quickly. Or, um, or throw them into having scenes with you because they're coming from a place of judgment and fear and they won't understand. You're going to need to go much slower if you're the kinky partner with someone who's not kinky and you might want to work with a trained professional. And you know, I'm one of the people who trains professionals to, to actually support you in a bridging, in a, in a languaging, in a pacing that will delight both of you. But you could open to this world at any time. You could discover that you're this, but then recognize it goes back to childhood. Then where do you find a community and where do you find uh, courses if you're you know, the lay person, the average person, is there is something called fetlife.com. F is in Frank, E is in Edward, T is in Tom, life.com. It's kind of the Facebook for uh, people in the BDSM world. Now, you know, quality may vary. Like if you think about Facebook, if you think about television, there are great shows, there are crappy shows. There are things that can educate you if you look online and there are things that could be shocking if you look online and not in a good way. Uh, And FetLife is similar. There are literally 
clinical groups on FetLife, research groups on FetLife, there who are by academ academicians, and there are people, whatever your interest is, there, there are groups that are going to be in support of that interest. But there's also going to be some things that you might look at and go, for me, that, that'd be crazy. I don't eat bell peppers. I don't want to join a group that they only talk about bell peppers. You know, so there's going to be groups that you might have judgments on. Don't join them. And there are groups that are better moderated and ones that are less beautifully moderated. So you might get on a group where people start to be angry or call each other names. Get out of that group. You have the power to come in and out of any of those groups online. And, but being online, you'll also see, uh, you would want to join in your, in your town or in your area that there are, you would Google in uh, meetup BDSM, or you would my town, meetup BDSM, my town, munch. And they actually called munch like lunch with an M munch BDSM, my town and, or my area. And they'll show up. And once again, these days, they're probably going to be online. Very, you know, just discussions and you could bring your questions and you can bring your concerns. And then if you look up um, BDSM, my, uh, my town on FetLife, there'll be groups that are just about events in your area. So you can find out about classes. You can find out or you can ask about classes and, and get connected that way. I often recommend for people who are coming in newly that go to some munches, meet some people, and ideally see if you can, uh, and take those classes, see if you can find a mentor. The mentor is not somebody that you want to be attracted to erotically. The mentor is not someone that you want to play with. The mentor is literally like your teacher, and you, and you don't want the erotic connection in the middle of that. So when I had a mentor, I could ask about my BDSM relationship with my dominant and say, what do you think about this? Because not all dominants, regardless of gender, are wise or kind. And this would true of any sexuality. In general, our 96% of us were raised in families with missing functions. We didn't learn about healthy boundaries. We didn't learn how to negotiate. So all of us pretty much have missing functions, regardless of what sexuality we're trying. And we also, uh, you know, 40% of us were raised in families or environments with severe emotional, physical, sexual, and or spiritual abuse and trauma. And in general, studies show that people in BDSM are slightly healthier psychologically than the average person. However, that's not good news because the average person is not actually all that psychologically healthy or that adept in the realm of relationships. So we want to be discerning. Um, find a mentor, don't have sex with them, but utilize them as a sounding board for what's healthy or unhealthy, or once again, hire a professional. And you would be looking for a clinician, a therapist, a counselor, a sex coach, a sex educator that is trained in, uh, in the world of BDSM. It's called a kink aware professional so that they can support you once again as a sounding board. The average marriage and family therapist has one class in sexuality. The average doctor has one class. The average nurse has one class. They're not trained in any kind of sexuality, let alone alternative sexuality. So uh, that's what I would say for that. And then um, when does the scene begin and when it ends depends a lot on what you negotiate. So a scene could be, uh, you know, three minutes if I give my safe word. Some people use safe word as a safe word. Some people use red as a safe word. But it could really be anything. It could be pumpernickel. It could just be anything. And But as long as you know, as long as I've told you, this is my safe word. And so a scene could be very, very short if either person, the dominant or the submissive, the top or the bottom, gives the safe word. And the dominant or the top is the guide or the giver, the, the submissive or the bottom is the receiver or the guided. And then there's different flavors of how we might do that, different roles we might play or role play. But in essence, in BDSM, there's often a guide and a guided. And the guide is the, is the giver of the sensation. The, the guided is the receiver of the sensation or the experience. But the, um, but the receiver, in a way, very much is in charge because they always can say their safe word at any time and end the scene. And through the negotiation, 
they're also in charge of what they want and what they don't want. And when people are submissive, they long to have, I call it a braincation. It's like, I want to let go. I'm in charge too much in my life. I just don't even want to have to think. I want a brain vacation. So the submissive is often looking for a brain vacation. (laughs) And by putting the other person in charge, they get that. And the dominant is often looking for this experience of being the, the, the one that gets, if they do it, if they do this scene well, it's like applause. So even outside of BDSM, if you've ever been the one that says, oh, I love to give oral sex. I love to give pleasure to my partner. In a sense, you're the dominant and you're the, the, the applause is the pleasure of the person you're giving to. That's, that's your reward is you're doing it well and you feel awesome about yourself. It's like, I'm such a good lover. I like kept them on the edge of arousal for like an hour or I gave them three orgasms. Dang, I'm awesome. And that feels good. And it's the same when you're a dominant, when you, you actually want to be a dominant that ideally is giving an experience that's really great for the submissive. And then you're like, dang, I'm so good at this. You know, they were, there was a moment where they were scared and then there was a moment where they were, but you know, um, where they were moaning and they were turned on by all of it. And I was able to surf that you know, that their experience in a way that, you know, they want to have more experiences with me. So, uh, so you know, once again, the safe word is super important. It can be short, but it could be long. So people have something called DS relationships, dominant submissive relationships. And just to kind of be mind blowing, I could be in charge of my company, the president of my company, totally telling everybody everything to do all day long and go home and then want to put you know, a collar on, want to kneel at someone's feet and say, okay, for the rest of the evening, I'm not in charge and like, and do that every day. So when I'm at home, I'm, I'm the submissive to, to my partner, regardless of gender. And when I'm at work, I'm the dominant. And maybe for me, that feels very balancing. I know a lot of pro doms and they say one of the best places. So that's a professional dominant who gets paid to dominant, to be the dominant is uh, they say the best place to be a professional dominant is Washington, D.C., because there's all these mostly men who spend all their time wielding, in a sense, too much power, and that they actually long to be rebalanced, and they long to like pay someone to put them on their knees and tell them they're a bad boy or whatever and spank them, because the, you know, the, the psyche ultimately has a longing for balance. So uh, it could be, it could be every day. It could be from the moment I get home. It, I, I am actually what's called a switch. So, uh, so there are parts of me, parts of my psyche that can be very dominant or can take that role with a partner. And then there's parts of me that can be submissive and take that role. And then there are parts of me that just like to dance back and forth. Like now I'm in charge. No, you're in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, you're in charge. And who's in charge? I don't know. Our pleasure. And uh, so uh so it could be that very long-term, uh, day after day, night after night, it could be a weekend. Like you could have a getaway where we want to play the role for an entire weekend where, where I'm the queen and you're my stable boy. Let's do that for the weekend, shall we? And so, you, you know, it's whatever you want to create. But it sounds like such an erotic, like a whole experience. I love that it can last last days and just have a really erotic weekend or just every night kind of coming out home from work and just having that extended erotic experience. It's such such a beautiful thing. You know, you mentioned when you were traveling around the world and as we're coming around our conversation, I just wanted you to highlight some of the common challenges that you, you've seen coming around the world, like some of the questions or fears that people are bringing up the most? I would say the biggest fear in sexuality in general, and it applies to BDSM, is am I normal? Is there something wrong with me because I want to be the stable boy to the queen or because I want to be the maiden ravished by the pirate? Or is there something wrong with me because I really enjoy the sense of being constrained and, you know, a weighted blanket, a corset, and somebody tying me up, you know, that I really, I love that feeling, that sensation. Is there something wrong with me? I have a fantasy about, uh, you know, threesomes, or I have a fantasy about being flogged or something. I have a fantasy of kneeling at someone's feet or having someone kneel at my feet. Is there something wrong with me? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I want to say about that is that on the level of fantasy, everything is normal. I might want to have, have fantasized having sex with a blender, you know, on the level of fantasy, it's all normal. But from a Jungian perspective, sometimes our most compulsive fantasies, I can't stop thinking about having sex with a blender. Melinda, I just can't. Sometimes our most compulsive fantasies are actually a symbolic message from our soul, like a repetitive dream. And not every fantasy is meant to be acted out on. And we need to, when we move from fantasy in my mind, I'm self-pleasuring to thinking about the, the, the blender versus I'm thinking about buying a blender and putting my body parts around it. When it moves from an idea in my brain to something out in the world, I need to be able to use discernment. I need to be able to balance risk versus reward. I need to be able to make sure I'm in agreements with my partner if I have one. How do you feel about me having sex with a blender, honey? And, you know, so there's a different layer when it comes into the real world. And one of my favorite things about BDSM is there are um, classes to teach erotic hypnosis. So if my partner said, I really don't want you to have sex with a blender, I feel like it would break our monogamous agreement. However, I'm happy to, to while I'm pleasuring your body, Francesca, I'm happy to talk you through it. So I'm going to have you close your eyes and imagine that it's not my hand that's that's caressing your body. It's the glass container of the blender that is now exploring your body. And so the mind can't tell the difference between something that's powerfully imagined and something that's really experienced. So I'm going to get all the good hormones that I think I want by having a relationship, a erotic relationship with a blender, I'm going to get them by actually just having my partner speak the fantasy. These are all such beautiful messages and like sharing this community with us is so powerful and it's such a beautiful community. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Francesca. I am delighted to be on the show and I'm always, uh, you know, I think our passion is always to support people to have a, an intimacy and a love life and an erotic life that delights and empowers themselves and the people that they're connected with. You're right. Thank you so much. And now it's time for Melinda's Mailbag, where we are going to be discussing BDSM tips. I'm Melinda DeSetta, and always, I'm joined here today with my sidekick. Shawnee Mick, the sidekick and the average Joe of the show. All right, Sean, so what questions do our viewers have for us today? Got some exciting ones this week. I think everybody's a little excited about this topic. So you got a lot of traction with your post. I did. This was the that's best awesome. one yet. That's good to hear. Instagram. They like it. All right, so question number one. What are the essential items I need to get started? Okay, so when people start BDSM, they think I have to go Fifty Shades of Grey. Have you seen that movie? I actually have never watched it, but I'm very familiar with it. I think most people are, if they haven't watched it themselves. They probably know what the uh, what it's about. Right, so we don't have to start with the red room. Okay. okay, so Christian Grey has this fabulous red room, and you walk into it, and it's all leather, and has all these crazy and amazing toys, but BDSM is something that we tiptoe into to get yourself accustomed to it. So, if you and your consenting partner are wanting to get involved in BDSM. Before you go out and purchase anything, start with a scarf. Okay. Okay. So maybe with the scarf, you can um, tie tie your partner's hands up. You can put it on your bed, to the bed post, or you can blindfold them with that a scarf. That makes sense. Less intimidating, something around the house. Right. And use your own body parts. Like use your hands for a little spank or something. You don't have to go out to the store and like buy the Fifty Shades of Grey Red Room. Or if you kind of want to tiptoe with that, I would say the first couple things that are essentials in a red room, in your red room, would be some fuzzy handcuffs. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say fuzzy handcuffs? Yeah. Yeah, regular handcuffs, but with like fuzzy, uh, <laughs> I guess to make them what, more comfortable or, yeah. or, to, or to, to make sure your partner knows that, <laughs> what they're for. <laughs> right, because you can actually break out of them. Oh, okay. You know, the police ones, you get stuck. Well, I guess that was the point of handcuffs, right? And they hurt. So I would mm. say go and buy some fuzzy handcuffs. Fuzzy handcuffs. Number one, and, and maybe a possible um, leather blindfold. Okay. What would you buy? 
will be the first things you'd want to buy. That's interesting. I feel like it would always be better to do this with your partner, right? Like, that could be part of the adventure, is, like, going to the store together. Do you think it's kind of intimidating going to the sex store with your partner? Or, like, <sighs> someone you just started dating, or you're just kind of getting into his I think I think it starts with a conversation, right? So you're going to have a conversation of what you guys are into anyway, I would think, right? I, I For me, I would be easier to say, hey, you know, let's maybe go stop by the store versus, like... <laughs> Pulling out my bag of goodies and being like, surprise. I don't know. I what what do you what do you think? I mean Wait. No Oh no It wasn't filming. <laughs> it wasn't filming. <laughs> oh god. Okay. It, well no, well we'll start from there because that was really good. It never does that and I hit it this time. What it wasn't filming at all? No. <laughs> we need this one though. Because so you know what you do? You know what you do? You start with a slide. You have the, you have the, you, like, you, you know what I mean? We and then it that. cuts in. I did it. Okay, so. Go, just go to question two. No, but I have more to say on question one. Oh, okay. What's your, what's your answer? And I can figure out how to question you to, okay, to ease so, that in. Okay, so Sean, Sean, you're talking about going to the store with your partner and like buying toys together for your entry level into BDSM. Well, I think that's kind of exciting in itself, right? It's like part of the journey. But what happens when your partner switches and you get a new partner? Do you keep mm. those previous sex toys or do you go back to the I've, store and pick uh, up new ones? I've thought about this since uh, I think one of our last conversations brought up lube and you bring up <laughs> always new, always new. I know it's not cost effective but <laughs> new is the way to go at least in my opinion stop you know cvs walgreens whatever it is it's always on the way home stop by grab it you know it's brand new box okay and so your practice is like more. getting a, a new one because if you I have would, a yeah. half used bottle of loop your partner could go think oh well, well who do you use the first exactly first and you, you, you keep it in the cabinet you use that for yourself when you're alone <laughs> you know, you know, you. <laughs> well, right. We could also be using it when we're alone. Yeah. Okay, so that that is a good point. Don't let it go to waste. But you know, new new lube, new toys, new partner. That's so we know my Sean philosophy. is going to be busy in between his partners. All right. What is <laughs> what else? Goodwill. Are asking? Goodwill doesn't take sex toys. Tried it. They weren't a fan. I can imagine that Goodwill wouldn't, yeah. just for maybe you, sanitation maybe purposes. Maybe just what they are, then and, they'll take anything. You know, we're talking a lot about sex toys, and I want to posit this thing of how do we effectively clean our sex toys. And oh, that's a great question. That's probably something you don't want to deal with after the fact. Right, so read your instructions. If you haven't heard my previous podcast, I had a woman on talking about sex toys, and she was telling us the best way to clean it is with soap and water. Or if you have something that's plastic, like a dildo or any of the anal plugs, boil them. Hmm. Boil the plastic. Exactly. But not the other stuff? Like not the, like, like glass or hand soap? Yeah, hand soap and, and boiling are effective. Okay. What's our second question? All right. Number two. I feel something is wrong with me if I enjoy BDSM. Mm. Interesting. I think like, you know, kind of. Society may, uh, you know, have an eye on maybe back in the day. I, I, I don't know. Do you think it's changed now? <sighs> if you listen to rap, it certainly has. <laughs> oh, <laughs> There's it... some freaky rap lyrics out these days. Is I it... wonder if it's setting. I wonder if it's setting these kids up for like, um, you know, difficulty in the bed. It's such like big talk, um, and you know, especially as a younger generation when you're just getting into sex to. Uh, think that so much of this freaky stuff is you know the the norm and maybe not that it's not the norm but that uh that's what you should be doing off the bat i think there's a lot of um you know regular sex to be had as well especially when you're when you're just starting out as a teenager so a lot of us learn like a lot of us learn about sex through porn and you can learn about it through lyrics as well. But sometimes in porn or like rap lyrics, they're talking about um, positions that may not always be realistic. 
you know, they're kind of setting it up that men can have as many partners as they want without ejaculating, and that makes you a man if you can have six partners in one night. And they can really set us up for failure and create a lot of anxiety when we're going into even even have our first time. You know, they recently did a study a few years ago saying that 20% of men who have never had sex, 20% of them reported anxiety in not being able to have an erection. Okay. Yeah, 20%. That's a lot of virgins out there having a lot of anxiety. So, and they're probably seeing in porn how the man never comes. They're probably hearing like these rap lyrics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of the rap lyrics are pretty crazy. But remember, porn is not real. All these rap lyrics are not real. So going back to what our viewer wants to know. um, What was, repeat our question. (laughs) Number two, I feel something is wrong with me if I enjoy BDSM. Nothing is wrong with you. And you know what? Most of society is engaging in BDSM. In some way or another, I'd imagine, right? What do you think that would be? Like when you think BDSM and most of us are engaging in some point of BDSM, what do you think? I think anything outside of the box um, that might be viewed as taboo to somebody else, perhaps? Yeah. And but things... I don't want to say taboo because I don't want to play in a negative light on it. I... Well, first of all, going back, what what would be something? It would be like biting, scratching, mm-hmm. squeezing. Like these are all things that could, are categorized under BDSM. And if you caught the first part of the podcast, our guest speaker really talks about what BDSM is. So make sure you catch that. But these are all little nuances that all fall under BDSM. And they're so commonly practiced. And we don't really realize that's what we're doing. I look at BDSM is that it's a pleasure journey. So all of us are have our own pleasure journey and what that is in BDSM are the few nuances I talked about earlier, but it really is pushing us to that limit, getting us to that exciting place. So no, it, it's not abnormal if you're engaging in this. I think it's, it's great as long as you and your partner are both consenting and have that safe word, but go on and explore. There are so many things that we haven't explored as humans. You know? Oh, definitely. Lots to learn. In our sexuality? I'm sure, yeah. Is anything intriguing to you right now, Sean? I, I'm, it's uh, when you kind of, I guess, look at the, the definition of it. I guess everybody does it. They probably don't think of it as that, but, you know, everybody's a little freaky. I like it. <laughs> of course. All right. All right, question number three. What is vanilla sex? Have you ever heard that term? Um, I think it's like a normal sex, just like regular, you know, missionary, doggy style. So what do you think, like, society thinks vanilla sex is? I, I think that, like, normal stuff. Like, maybe not with the toys. Like, I guess when you bring toys into it, it's probably not vanilla sex. You got, like, some sprinkles in there. So people, like, people can say, I, I like vanilla sex. It can be um, an adjective or a noun, or people can say, like, I am vanilla. But what it is is people who have a lack of desire or low desire to try anything outside of the cultural norm. So the status quo, basically. That makes sense. So in America, because that's where we are, um, what do you think is normal sex position? Missionary, doggy style. Okay, so typically we think missionary. And like, where do you feel like people typically have sex the most? The obvious one's probably the bedroom, um, and I think after that, it's probably where people feel comfortable. So if, you know, you have a house that has blinds and, you know, nobody can see in and you don't have any kids, maybe the living room's more comfortable for you um, versus somebody who has roommates where you're, you know, unless you're, you know, unless you're, you know, <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, get a little exciting, I think most people probably... A little voyeurism is what yeah. you're referring to, yeah. okay. which is Thanks for definitely the, the proper word. <laughs> pretty much illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, within your own apartment, maybe you're like, my roommate's going to be home any minute now. Let's uh, like hurry up and, you know, make a mess of this kitchen. You know? <laughs> so, vanilla eggs typically Sorry, here... <laughs> In, in America, it's typically what you think of having missionary sex typically in the bedroom. These This is just an example. But these people really enjoy that. And if you and your partner enjoy that, more power to you. 
And that would typically be one of the cases of vanilla sex. Um, sometimes we run into problems when one person really enjoys having missionary sex in the bedroom and then the other person wants to maybe engage in some BDSM or just kind of push the boundaries a little bit, try something new. So that's when you can come to a sex therapist and work work through that exploratory, try to find a middle ground, what feels safe for most people, for both of the people um, in that partnership or, you know, or two or three now, would you say that's a conversation you have kind of prior to it getting hot, or is it something that you're kind of, as you're getting into it, you kind of bring up? When when do you think the right time to kind of express these more exotic feelings would be? I think you first have to look into them in yourself. Okay. Because we can be in a relationship and then say, oh my gosh, I I'm going to try this. Like, this is kind of just coming up for me in my life at this moment. I want to try this. And maybe it wasn't something that I thought about before. So, yes, that would be something to express to your partner at the, at the time. But really looking into yourself versus just looking in, into your partner. What does my partner want? Yes, this is a conversation that we should be having. Um, but it just does change over Mm -hmm. time and it changes through the relationship we are fluid people life is fluid so as we go through lives and life challenges different phases in our world things that come up that are new in our sex life it's always fun and exciting (laughs) i think it is too but you know what it really just depends what the people in the relationship want So I'm very excited for all of you um, listeners out there. You guys mailed in amazing questions. Um, If you have more questions on BDSM, go to my Instagram, look at my posts at Therapy with Melinda. Um, Also, don't forget, if you have questions, mail them or DM me at Therapy with Melinda on Instagram, and we'll be super excited to answer them. Looking forward to it. So next week is all about how sex is between the ears. And what that means is why sometimes do we not orgasm when we're having sex with a stranger? Interesting. Yeah, so it's all about having sex with strangers and how it can get messy when we start having sex with our friends. Mm -hmm. Always a slippery slope. Always. So tune in next week at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And for all you listeners out there, have great sex.